Thanks, Mark. Uh, as Mark mentioned, my wife and I uh, had the privilege of serving with Antioch in uh, North Africa together with our team, and now we live here. And uh, woo, it's nice to not to, nice to be like four miles away instead of like twenty seven hundred miles away. Um, and so before I roll into the message for this morning, uh, some of you guys know that Antioch, New England, has a set of values. Uh, and one of the sets of values we have is about how to do ministry. And one of my favorite of these values is honoring collaboration. And, and to make sure that that's not just a buzzword, honest, honoring collaboration, it talks about the fact that it, in the body of Christ, when we bring together diverse giftings and experience, we can actually in our co-laboring together, create service which is more beautiful to God than the sum of its parts. You guys hear what I'm saying? So it's not just the sum of the contributions that we give to God. We create something greater than the sum of our contribution by, co- by collaborating with honor. And the Bible gives the image of a, a human body with different parts that share in honor. Um, and so... In that stream, I'm going to give honor to those who collaborated with me on this sermon. First of all, uh, I want to shout out to Neil Crook. Woo! And uh, Neil helped me out with the teaching and biblical study aspects of this sermon, really helping me uh, polish it and get it accurate to what the Bible is saying as much as we could. Uh, Also, I want to shout out, there were four different people in the congregation, people who are close friends of mine, who I really, they have a, a gift in the prophetic and so I reached out to them and said, hey, as I'm preparing this sermon, would you help me listen to what God is saying to the church? And they were a huge help to me. And third of all, dude, can I get my slide up? All right. So uh, how many of you love Alex Moger? <laughs> Alex Moger. All right. So um, Antioch has something called the residency program. Now, if you're a graduate of ADS, you can apply and be a part of the residency program. And the residency program is for developing future full-time staff within Antioch. So future staff and future church planters. And so uh, Mojer is in this program. And uh, he helped me out with my message for the college retreat. And I said, Mojer, let's do some honoring collaboration. Let's prepare the sermon together. And so Mojer and I did the notes together for this sermon. And we said, hey, you guys know me. You know that I'm a competitive person. So I said, let's take it to the next level. Let's do Lux versus Mojer. So we prepared the sermon together, and if you want to hear Alex Mojer preach it, go to that link right up there on the screen. You can download it to your phone, and on your drive home, Mojer will really preach this sermon to you for real. All right? Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. (laughs) And guys, I just can't help myself. I've got to say it. Merry Christmas, Antioch Brighton. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas in Jesus' name. Guys, it is so good to be in America at Christmas time. I mean, if you've ever lived outside the United States at Christmas time, just give me a like a, I know what you're talking about. Okay? Oh, it's good to be in America at Christmas time. And, um, and I just want to say... Um, Christmas was actually God's idea. I'm having to kind of reorient when I come back here. Christmas is actually God's idea. And so our Advent series this year, we're talking about the prophetic wave from Genesis through all the books of the Bible. Guys, it's an old idea to celebrate Christmas. Someone didn't come up with it at a marketing seminar in Los Angeles. It was not created by the Fisher-Price Company, okay? (laughs) 
Christians have been celebrating Christmas for a very long time. And that's why we're doing an Advent series. Because we're focusing on the fact that Christmas has been coming. It has been awaited for a long time. And well that we should wait for it, right? Because don't we find ourselves in a world that's so full of pain and so full of hate and anger and sin and wickedness and real suffering? And that's why we have Christmas. That's why it's worth waiting for and worth celebrating every year. Because the birth of Jesus was about God's response to the hurt and pain and suffering and separation that we find in the world. And that there was purpose in the birth of Jesus. That he was born. He lived a perfect life. And his perfect life showed us what God was like in flawlessness. And at the culmination of the life of Jesus, he died on the cross and he rose again. And if we receive his sacrifice for our sins by faith, we obtain a relationship with God that was promised from the beginning. And so when I tell you Merry Christmas, that is what I am talking about. Merry Christmas, Antioch Brighton. All right. So, um, uh, so, so as I said, God has been, had been preparing Christmas since the beginning of the universe, which you can look at in Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, so it's only fitting that we take four weeks to go through an Advent series to prepare for Christmas at Antioch Brighton. So the first week, Mark came and spoke about the Old Testament prophecies uh, that predicted Jesus' birth, and we talked about it being a prophetic wave. The second week of Advent, uh, we talked about the birth of John the Baptist and the faithfulness of God to his family. And this week, in the third week, we're going to look at two little-known biblical figures, Anna and Simeon. And if you guys take out your Bible, you can find them in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Okay? And uh, before we dig in here and read it, um, I'm going to try and give a little bit of context. So, when the passage talks about the temple, that's referring to the temple in Jerusalem. And this temple was the center of the Jewish religious world. It was the center of worship for the Jewish community. And it's important to note that at this time, the time during the events of this story, uh, the, the whole land is under foreign occupation. Okay, you can think of the redcoats occupying Boston. The Romans were occupying um, the land of Judea and Israel. Okay? Um, and the, in terms of a timeline... The events of this story take place just about 40 days after the scene in the manger. And, um, and just got a note here, too. So you, you can picture Mary and Joseph taking this long journey to get to Bethlehem. And they have to take another long one to get to the temple in Jerusalem. And so that highlights for us that this is something pretty important, that they were willing to take another uh, long cross-country trip uh, with a newborn. All right, so let's take a look at it here. Uh, Luke 2, uh, verses 21 through 38. You can follow along on your phone or your actual Bible. And if you don't have one of the two of those, you can enjoy the John Lux audio Bible. All right, Luke two twenty-one. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of Moses, a pair of doves or young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay. So there's a lot going on with this passage. So let's begin uh, by taking a look at why they're at the temple. All right? Okay, so um, uh, it talks about as the law required, right? Uh, And so that's a reference to uh, Exodus 13.2. And it's referring to a ceremony uh, in the Jewish uh, tradition where you would bring your children to consecrate them to the Lord. It was a a redemption ceremony. And there's a lot of uh, Old Testament things coming together in that moment. Uh, that we're not going to get into. But the idea is of, of bringing their child and consecrating him to the Lord. Now, uh, it's interesting to note that though we don't follow all the rules of Exodus 13.2, and if you just flip to it, I'm specifically talking about sacrificing doves and pigeons, which will not be a part of our own baby dedication ceremony on January 6th. Our own baby dedication ceremony. Yeah! And so you too can have the experience of bringing your child into the place of worship and dedicating them to the Lord together with all of us here at Antioch Brighton. And the idea is really simple. That, um, that in the same way that Jesus' parents brought him to the temple to, to give him to God and say, God, we want to we dedicate our child to you, to be set apart. We want to bring our own children together as a congregation and dedicate them to the Lord. So if you've never had a chance to do that, please contact Sandra and we'll get you added to the docket for January 6th. All right. And so there's just a couple main ideas I want to introduce and then we're going to um, really dig into them. The first uh, is that, that there's such an intimate moment happening here between Simeon and the infant Jesus. Second, what happens here in this passage for both Simeon and Anna is the product of huge faithfulness over a lifetime of waiting for Jesus. And finally, we're going to touch upon the way that, that their lives formed a part of the prophetic wave which led up to the birth of Jesus and to his life.
All right, let's turn our attention to Simeon. All right. Simeon was a man who walked with the Holy Spirit. And scholars say, based on his speech uh, that he gives, that he was an old man. And, and the fact that it says the Spirit up, was upon him is really unusual in, in the time that he lived. Um, and so, so it should really draw our attention to him. And, and what I love about the way that the Spirit is described as interacting with Simeon is that it's so gentle, so personal. Um, it talks about the Spirit revealed to him. It didn't, doesn't say that there was this, like, intense commanding, thus saith the Lord. It says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then I love the way that it talks about, it says, led by the Spirit, Simeon went out into the court. And um, I'm going to use a hospital metaphor because, like, it feels like every third person at Antioch works at a hospital. Um, and if you're one of those uh, 50-odd people in this room, how many people it is working at a hospital? Just give me a little. All right, that's a lot of people. All right, so if you're one of those people who just gave me the heads up, you probably live in a giant uh, white or taupe-walled building, which was created by an evil mastermind to be a maze for getting lost in. <laughs> it's absolutely true. And if you've spent any time in hospitals, it's a universal phenomenon. And uh, yeah, it's true. I'm sorry. That you, my, your, might be your daily work environment. Um, and so people have tried to find ways of dealing with this problem so that people don't get permanently lost while they're trying to get to the ER. Um, so... So when you walk in the hospital, they figure out where you're going, and they say, oh, you're going to hematology. You need to follow the red line. And sure enough, you look down, and there on the floor is this little red line. And so you just sort of trust this little red line, and you follow it around until you find yourself in hematology. And someone working at this church probably helps you out there, okay? <laughs> and it, it feels something like that that Simeon is experiencing, just a very gentle leading. He's, it seems like the, the Holy Spirit is just leading him around, and it brings him out into the court of the temple. And guys, get a look at this. What kind of things are going to happen when we start being led by the Spirit in this way? It's so simple. It's not complicated, not highly technical. We're just being led by the gentle leading of the Holy Spirit. What if we let this, the Holy Spirit choose our commute to work for us, huh? And so Simeon walks right into it. I mean, there's no accident at all in this moment. I mean, after everything that happened to them in the previous chapter and a half, Mary and Joseph are probably like, let's just sneak in the temple, dedicate our baby, and go home. Right? But Simeon, he's like this spirit-led guided missile and comes straight for them as soon as they come in the courtyard. And what's the first thing he does? This, this is part I love about this passage. What's the first thing that he does? I mean, before he communicates anything, before he delivers his accurate prophecy about Jesus, I mean, before he reflects on, you know, like the, the culminating moment of his life when all of Christian history passed two feet in front of his face, before he does any of that, it says he holds the baby in his arms and gives praise to God, right? And what's happening in that moment? What's going on right there? So in, in the North African culture I was a part of, it was actually allowed for you to give like, what's up, mom? And then take a baby out of the stroller and just be like, here I am with you. So like, I have a grid for it being okay for him to just pick up the baby. But what's so unique here 
is the moment of, of intimacy and connection between Jesus and Simeon. So Simeon says he has waited his whole life for the consolation of Israel, right? He's dedicated his life to this messianic coming, and he didn't just witness it. He didn't read about it in the news. He didn't hear about it. I mean, he's picking up the Savior that he waited for and snuggling him in his arms. You tracking with me? It's a very close little moment. And as I've been processing, trying to understand this, the closest I can come up with was the, the kind of cosmic moment of holding my own children when they were born. I mean, there's nothing like it. And guys, human beings, we don't like, we don't like dig a hole and lay eggs in the sand like a sea turtle. And like, on the one hand, that's stupid, but there's something about the way that God does it. That the waiting is built into the process. I mean, there's no way to get express shipping on it. Amazon Prime is going to do nothing for you in this area. The waiting is built into it. And so Simeon is holding the baby Jesus. He's giving worship to God. It's the fulfillment of what he's waited for. His whole life. And this is what he says. He says, Sovereign Lord, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and of glory to your people, Israel. Now, what exactly does he mean when he says that? I'm going to try to paraphrase it. Because he's got this intimate moment. He's experiencing this peace. He's so close and so tender in this place. I would paraphrase it like this. I'd say, he's saying something like, Lord, you are sovereign. You're the ruler of everything. And I am ready for my life to be over. Because I am at peace now that I have seen this Savior. And this, this, this intimacy, this closeness, this sort of snuggling baby Jesus moment, there's something in it that's a picture that can remind us of everything else that's happening in Jesus' life, right? So Jesus is fulfilling these thousand-year-old prophecies. And he came to earth, and he had mighty power for casting out demons and healing the sick. But everything that Jesus did, it was personal. It was face-to-face. It was right there with us. And that's how he was with Simeon. That's how he is with us today. All right, let's turn our attention to Anna. Anna the prophetess. So uh, uh, Anna was 84 years old. She's from the tribe of Asher. Uh, and it's significant that she's from the tribe of Asher. Some of you guys know why. Uh, the tribe of Asher was not the tribe whose duty it was to serve in the temple where Anna was. That was for the tribe of Levi. And so the Levites would serve in the temple, and they had responsibility, and they could share in the tithe, share in the food. But if you are from the tribe of Asher, and you're serving in the temple, we immediately know that you're there because you want to be there. You're there because it's your desire to be there in the temple of God serving. And and, um, in contrast to Simeon, 
Anna is specifically identified as a prophetess. And in this context, we know that that means she's somebody who's hearing from God and helping people understand what he's saying, right? Right about what's happening in her generation. And she's got to feel some connection, right? With the people that Mark talked about in this prophetic wave. Um, the, the prophets who came before the life of Jesus and talked about who he would be. And in some ways, I get feeling really good about myself if I'm able to, like, wake up before my two-year-old and at least open the Bible. You know, like, cup of coffee, we're, like, still just kind of making it happen, you know? Like, I, you know, like, listen to, like, four chords from a worship song, get the Bible open before the kids are awake in the morning, right? It says that Anna the prophetess was, listen to this quote, it says that she was, she never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. I mean, seriously. Got that kind of life going on, all right? I mean, it reminds me, honestly, a little bit of the ADS retreat. But this was her life every day. Fasting and praying, night and day in the temple. And so this is what we know about who she is, right? And, uh, and I find myself asking the question, why is God choosing Simeon and Anna to share this moment with? Why is it Simeon and Anna that are, that are here in this moment with, with, with the infant Jesus at his dedication? Because, you know, there's got to be some purpose to it. And, and questions like that don't get answered in the literal unless it's in the Bible. But, and we'll never know exactly the answer to that question, but as I've been thinking about it and trying to exercise my imagination, why did this moment come together in this way? I, I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. And I almost get a sense like, like imagining that God is including Anna in this moment simply because he was so touched by her life of faithful prayer and worship. Not that she earned this opportunity, but I almost can imagine God responding to the faithfulness and devotion of her life. Like, he, like I just want you to be in the court at this time, and I'm going to lead this guy to be here too, to share this moment with Jesus of worship. And what's kind of crazy about this moment is that just like Simeon, she had no previous exposure to Jesus. She's not recognizing him. She's seeing him for the first time. So she has to receive it totally on faith that he's the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? He hadn't done anything messianic that they knew about. He's just another baby. But, there's, but she and Simeon both have such faith, right? They've waited their whole lifetime. It's not the first time they've seen a baby in the temple courts, okay? But when the promise that God made to them was fulfilled, they had faith that was fresh and ready on that day. And when God finally answered after years and years and years, they were ready. And there's something about that. I think, I think it, it comes down to the faith to be ready in the waiting. And this is something that the prophetic team spoke about uh, multiple people. Um, the, this idea that in the waiting, we bring faith and we persevere and then we meet Jesus in that place of waiting. And, and in a large part, that's what, that's what Advent is about. That's what this Christmas Advent season is about. It's waiting for the coming of Jesus. 
And so are we exercising faith in that process? And one of the other things that I just love about Anna, she's just like, she's, she's the kind of person I was like, I want you to be on my church planting team. Like, can I fill out an application for you and you can be on it? Um, because, because, you know, we know that she's got this life of worshiping day and night. And she, she meets the infant Jesus, right? And the, it says that she, she went and told about the child to all who were waiting for the consolation of Israel, right? She becomes the first Christian evangelist. I love this, right? And so there's something about her immediate response of not just, not just oh, I had my own sense of fulfillment in meeting uh, the Lord's Christ, but, but taking that information and making it for everybody. But, like, w- let's go back to this question of waiting. So, like, Simeon and Anna, right? The long wait. What does it take to wait for that long and still be ready on the day that it happens? Where does that kind of faith come in? Because, I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. I am terrible at waiting for things. I mean, really pretty bad. I was on hold with my health insurance company for five minutes, and I whined about it two times. That's bad. And guys, we're the generation that invented YouTube and, like, curbside pickup, okay? Like, we're the expedited shipping video-on-demand generation. Waiting is, like, is like awful for us. We, we want to we spend money. We want to use energy so that we don't have to do waiting. And there's something about this, this waiting experience that our modern soul wants to find another way around. Right? There's got to be some other way to do this where we don't have to wait for the thing that God is doing. But isn't the waiting for Jesus what Advent is about? And how can we develop that faith that we're seeking to have if there aren't moments of waiting for fulfillment in our life? So as the band comes up, um, I want to leave a couple questions about this passage for us to continue to process. And I'm going to pray and ask God to, to, to move in us in some of these things. I mean, the first question is, man, don't we want a life of being led by the Spirit into encounters with Jesus, just like Simeon had? That's something I believe it's for every single one of us as Christians. Man, don't we hunger for that, that simple leading of the Holy Spirit that puts us in exactly the right place to encounter what God is doing in our generation? That's something that God loves to do. And second, man, as we hold out for our soul's desire, are we letting God develop that faith in the waiting? Are we, are we living a life of faithfulness that provokes God to respond? And in our Advent season, it's about this blessed anticipation, this waiting for Jesus And I really believe that God is intending that waiting process, that the unfulfillment is going to create something that's beautiful to God. So my prayer is that we wouldn't miss it this Advent season. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, would you find us ready for all that you want to do in this generation, Lord? Just as Anna and Simeon were right there, 
still walking in faithfulness in their old age on the day that you brought Jesus to the temple. God, would you find us as a people still walking in faithfulness, living lives of waiting with faith for everything that you're going to do in the future. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus. And Lord, we want to partake, God, of of that place of understanding you and knowing you in your birth. And Lord, we want to know how to be led by the Holy Spirit as Simeon was led by your Spirit. God, if there are appointments like this one for our life, God, we don't want to miss them. Would you show us that gentle leading, Lord? Would you tune us in? Make us sensitive to where you're taking us and where you're leading us. In Jesus' name.